Psalm 139, verse 7. The psalm, the psalmist David talks a lot about God and God's relationship to him. must admit it's one of my favorite psalms. And we want to focus our attention this morning on Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. Please follow along as I read. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. The darkness is as light to you. Before we begin this morning, let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the great privilege that we have to come and to worship, to uh, sing songs of praise, to have times of uh, family and uh, understanding that we are part of a, a body and all of the activities that are involved, and we are grateful for those. We're thankful for your word, and we thank you now for the chance to study it together and learn something about you. And I pray that we accomplish that this morning. And in, in doing that, we will be challenged and encouraged. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. He was just a little lad and on a fine Lord's Day, was wandering home from Sunday school and dawdling along the way. He kicked his, he kicked his foot into the grass. He found a caterpillar. He found a milkweed pod and blew out all the filler. A bird's nest in a tree overhead so wisely placed and high was just another wonder that caught his eager eye. A neighbor watched his zigzag course and hailed him from the lawn. Asked him what he'd been doing that day and what was going on. He said, oh, I've been to Sunday school and I've learned a lot about God. Ah, the neighbor said, a fine way for a boy to spend his time If you tell me where God is, I'll give you a brand new dime. Quick as a flash, his answer came, nor were his accents faint. I'll give you a dollar, mister, if you tell me where God ain't. (laughs) That little boy knew God. Francis Schaeffer had a catchphrase that he used often that became the title of one of his books, The God Who Is There. We might put it better and say that God is here, there and everywhere. God is here in our lives, here in this place, here in this country, here in this world. He's always present everywhere. We've taken just a few small steps into the new year. I like the concept of the new year because of that word new. Everything is new. We have new days and new weeks and new months. It's like we have a a clean slate, a a do-over to get it right in this coming year. I thought it might be wise for us just to consider God this morning, to talk about his ever-presence. And understanding that truth, ask and answer the question, so what? What difference will it make in my life as I journey through this new year 
that God is present every moment of every day in my life. So let's talk about the truth of God's presence. God is an infinite spirit, the Bible teaches us. He's not a physical being. He's free from those kinds of limitations of time and space. The theologians call that his omnipresence. The word omni is a Latin word that means all. And I've given to you a definition in your bulletin. Hopefully it's brief enough and simple enough. It reads, God is omnipresent. He is present everywhere. God in the totality of his existence is present throughout the universe. Omnipresence is difficult for us in our finite minds to grasp. But it might help if we think about it this way. We occupy a particular piece of space, a real estate in our lives. Every other being occupies space. People do, angels do, Satan does, but God doesn't. God is wholly present in every part of his domain at the same instant. The inability for us to grasp that has caused some to put together uh, little pieces of rock or metal or wood and form them into an idol that uh, they can see. We may not totally understand God's omnipresence, but the, the scriptures clearly teach it. The central passage for his omnipresence is the psalm that I read, Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. Uh, We're going to look at other passages as we walk through our study this morning. Another passage that talks about his omnipresence, that he cannot be contained, is found in Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple. Let me read it for you. It's found in 1 Kings 8, verse 27. But will God really dwell on the earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you how much less this temple that I have built. Jeremiah spoke the words of God in Jeremiah 23, verses 23 and 24. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not not a God far away? Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do not I fill the heavens and the earth? Then there's our friend, the prophet Jonah, when who when God told him to go preach against Nineveh, decided he would go the other way. And in the opening chapters, opening chapter of the book of Jonah, uh, on two different occasions, he talks about fleeing from the presence of God. How did that work out for him? Not so good. There is nowhere in the universe, nowhere in this land, nowhere in the sea, nowhere in the heavens where one can escape the presence of God. I was growing up, we used to play hide-and-seek. It was a fun game. <laughs> you can't play hide-and-seek with God. It's hard, impossible, not hard, but impossible to escape his presence. God's omnipresence simply means that God is here. Wherever we are, God is here. There is no place, there can be no place where he is not. A.W. Tozer, in his grand book, The Knowledge of the Holy Rites, The doctrine of the divine omnipresence personalizes man's relation to the universe in which he finds himself. This great central truth gives meaning to all other truths and imparts supreme value to all his little life. God is present near him, next to him, and this God sees him and knows him through and through. For just a moment, I'd like for us to consider 
an explanation of God's ever presence. What does it mean that he fills heaven and earth, that he's fully present everywhere in, his, in the totality of his being at every instant? I think for us to, to understand that, we've got to get the idea of space out of our heads because God exists without dimensions of time and space. He's not limited by either time or space. Before God created the world, there was no matter. So there was no space, yet there was God. Are we mind-boggling ourselves here yet? He was not in a place that we could call where, because there was no where before he created the universe. Sometimes when we try to explain God, we use two terms that I'd like to share with you. Those two words are found in your bulletin outline as well. The words are eminence and transcendence. The word eminence simply means that God is present. He is active within his creation, within human history. He is not a God that created the world, spun it into action, and then went off and is doing nothing. That's the error of the deists. God is active. He is imminent in his creation. But he's also transcendent. That is, he is separate from his creation. He is distinct from it. Uh, the, the scriptures define it as his otherness, his separateness, his holiness, his majesty. God is imminent. He is transcendent. There are a few other concepts we need to think about when we think about the omnipresence of God. The first is that he is not distributed throughout the universe. There are not different parts of him throughout the world. The scriptures teach that he is one, that he is not divided into parts. The second thing we need to understand is that he is not present everywhere and with everyone in the same sense all the time. What do I mean by that? He is present in different ways at different times with different people. Sometimes God is present to punish. Other times he's present to bless. God does not dwell on earth as he does in heaven. God does not dwell with the Gentile nations as he did with the Hebrew nation of the Old Testament. God does not dwell, did not dwell with the Jews as he does with believers in the New Testament era. God does not dwell with the unbeliever as he does the believer scripture is clear that as todd pointed out in our study of colossians for the believer christ in us is our hope as believers he is part of us he lives in us not sure how to explain it i'm not sure that we can totally grasp it but god dwells with different people and different situations in different ways one of those things that the scriptures teach and I take by faith. But it's clear. God exists and he's present everywhere in the universe equally at the same time. I always smile when I think about the early stages of the space race and that Russian cosmonaut who uh, went up into space and looked out of his window and said he didn't see God which W.A. Criswell of the First Baptist Church of Dallas said, let him take off his suit, step outside, he'll meet God pretty quickly. <laughs> and finally, God is not everything and everything is not God. Let me say that again. God is not everything and everything is not God. That's the era of pantheism that comes out of Eastern religions. 
Pan comes from a Greek word that means all. Theos, of course, is God. For the pantheist, God is, in, is the universe, and the universe is God. All is God. God is all. Omnipresent says that God is everywhere present. Pantheism says that God is everything. If I'm sitting in a tree, I don't do that much anymore, but if I was to be sitting in a tree, omnipresent says God is there. Pantheism says the tree is God. Pantheism says that Roger is God or part of God, and we know that can't possibly be the case. God is involved in the universe. He's omnipresent, but he is separate from it. Pantheism, God minus the world, means nothing. Omnipresence, God minus the world, means God. Now, just by way of illustration, and there is no perfect way to illustrate the omnipresence of God, but just a couple of imperfect illustrations, if you will. One might be the air we breathe. It's odorless, tasteless, for the most part invisible. Depending on where you live, you might be able to see it. But in any case, there... Our, our breath, the air, is, is, is vital to our lives, even though we can't see it. So is God's presence everywhere with, everywhere with us. If it was withdrawn, none of us could survive. Then consider the sponge. If you put a sponge in water, the sun, sponge is permeated with water. There's water everywhere, but the water is distinct from the sponge. God is omnipresent. He is imminent. He is transcendent, distinct from his creation. He is present everywhere, but not present everywhere in the same sense. His omnipresence is not pantheism. Dietrich Richel was in Germany in 1944 when the Allied bombers came and bombed the city that he was in. He found refuge in a railroad station, and with fires around him and buildings crumbling, he looked up to the ceiling of that railroad station, and there was an inscription, Beyond the stars there must live a gracious father. And telling that story, Richel said, I don't want such a God. I do not want such a God who lives beyond the stars, and most of us would echo our agreement with that. We don't want a God who is distant. We want one who is near, who is with us, who understands us. And that's the great truth found in the Bible, that God is omnipresent. He is with us every moment of every day. And although we might not be able in our finite minds to grasp it totally, the Scriptures clearly teach that truth about God. Well, so what? What difference does it make in your life and mine as we head down this year we call 2013 that God is omnipresent? Now, there are a number of situations that we could address and talk about as that relates to God's omnipresence, but I uh, just want to talk about five of them. I've put those into your bulletin, and I want to talk about them, each of them briefly. Uh, each of them briefly. So what of God's ever-presence? First of all, God is with you in temptation. God is with you when you are tempted. Now, let's be clear. Temptation is not sin. Do you know how I know that? 
because of an account is found in Matthew chair, uh, 4 and Luke chapter 4. Uh, Jesus is led out into the wilderness, and there he is tempted by Satan. You remember that? Temptation is not sin. Oh, and by the way, James in his letter, the first chapter, the beginning of verse 13, he begins to talk about temptation, and he says, when you are tempted. Not if, when. Temptation is a part of what happens in our life from cradle to grave. We are going to be tempted. (laughs) Martin Luther was right when he said, You can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. (laughs) Kind of like the way it is with temptation. You can't can't, uh, make sure there's no temptation. It will always be there. But whether you succumb to it or not, that's another thing. But just for your consideration, when you choose to tell a little white lie, God is there. If you get into your mind as a man or woman that you're going to commit sexual sin with someone else, God is there. If you choose to cut corners in your business and it will harm someone else, God is there. If you choose to cheat on an exam, God is there. If you're sitting in the room in your home with a computer on, and you're about to hit that mouse to go to that site, God is there. He is there to remind you, to strengthen you, to enable you to resist. And what do we do if we don't? We sin in the presence of God. There are times we live like practical atheists. We say we believe in God, but we live like we don't. When you love someone, you know that you're going to do something that they would disapprove of. What do you do? Barbara and I will celebrate another anniversary this, uh, this month. We've been around, hanging around together a long time, and I love her deeply. If I got it into my mind that I was going to do something that was wrong or that she would disapprove of, I can bet you I wouldn't invite her into the room to watch me. (laughs) And yet the God who loves you deeply, has saved you eternally, is ever-present. It ought to be something in our lives that we consider when we're tempted to go against his will and against his word. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere keeping watch on the wicked and the good. God is with you when you're tempted. Secondly, God is with you when you are lonely. God's omnipresence means that he's always with you. You're never alone. Years ago, a lonely woman named Hagar learned this lesson. She had been uprooted from her home in Egypt, brought into the family of Abraham and Sarah as a slave. You remember the story. Abraham and Sarah were promised by God that they would have a son, but it never happened. They were getting older. Sarah got it into her mind that she would use a cultural convention of the day and Abraham could have a, a son through the slave Hagar. 
and they did that stupid thing, you know what happened. Tension, trauma in that household, and Hagar left and went out into the wilderness alone with that child. And God came to her and interacted with her in Genesis chapter 16. In Genesis chapter 16, verse 3, she called God Elroy, the God who sees. And she understood that God saw her and cared for her in her loneliness. He's the same God today. Loneliness is one of the greatest emotional problems of our day. Billy Graham used to say when he spoke on loneliness, he got the greatest response. There are many reports of prisoners and hostages who have spent years isolated, have said upon their release that their understanding that God was present was what sustained them in those dark hours. This morning, I want you to remember that God is ever-present. If you sense loneliness in your life, you're not alone. He is there. God is there when you're tempted. He's there when you are lonely. God is also with you when you face difficulty and are fearful. Will you turn to Isaiah chapter 43 for a moment, please? Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43, and look with me at verse 1. Now I know that these words were directed at the nation of Israel, specifically the nation of Judah, as Isaiah spoke to them about the coming Messiah. And these were words to encourage them, but I think that we can apply them to uh, the people of God Notice, by, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by, uh, summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Look down at the beginning of verse 5. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. What is Isaiah saying? In the midst of your difficulties, whatever they might be, I will walk through them with you. Whenever I read this passage, I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar throwing them into the fiery furnace, thinking that does it for for them. And and what do we find? They're in there standing, walking around, and there's someone else in there that looked like a god. Why? Because God was present with them in that fiery furnace. I don't know what difficulties you face or will face in the coming year, but I want you to understand He's with you. In that plane, in that elevator, in that cramped room, in that high place, in that strange situation, in that operating room, in that waiting room, God is with you. Psalm 46. Please turn there. Psalm 46. Psalm 46. 
the psalmist writes at verse 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We can rely on God no matter how difficult the situation or the circumstance. He is present with us every moment of our lives. God's omnipresence means that he is there in the midst of suffering and pain and sickness and sorrow and anger and grief and bitterness and divorce and betrayal. In any and all circumstances of life, he is with us. I want you to understand that regardless of what difficulty you face, He is with us. He is with you. Now, having said that, I'm reminded of the story of the little guy who went up to bed one night with his dad and they said their prayers and he got into bed and before long, a Texas storm came along, one of those uh, gully washers with a claps of thunder and lightning and he got scared and he called for dad and dad went upstairs and helped to calm him down and they prayed together again, and when he was leaving, Dad said, you'll be okay. Don't worry. God's with you. <laughs> to which the little guy said, I want a God with skin on. <laughs> I want someone we can see, someone we can feel, someone we can touch. But God is spirit, and he is with you. He is with you every moment of every day. 24-7, that's part of living by faith. He's omnipresent. We always have his full attention. Can you imagine what it would be like if going through some situation we prayed, God, and an angel showed up and said, well, I'm sorry, God's busy in the Middle East. Uh, let me get your name and number of someone to get back to you. It's not the way it works. Because God is omnipresent. That will never happen. He's with us during difficult times, hard times. Fourthly, God is with us in ministry. God is with us in ministry. As part of a local body of believers, the Bible is clear. We are to be involved and engaged in ministry. And sometimes when we're involved in, in ministry or we're asked to be involved in ministry, we get a little concerned. The truth of the matter is God is with us. He will sustain us. He will help us. He will encourage us. I know that's true because that's what the Scriptures teach us. Do you remember when Moses was told by God, I want you to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And then God said to him, I will certainly be with you. Exodus 3, chapter, or Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. And he was. <laughs> Moses led those crabby Jews out of uh, Egypt, and God was with him. It wasn't easy, but God was with him. Then when the mantle was passed from Moses to Joshua, Moses told Joshua in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8, The Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. 
But one of my favorites is Gideon. <laughs> the book of Judges, remember Gideon? Judges chapter 6 and 7. The Midianites are invading the land. They're beating up the Israelites. They're stealing all their stuff. And we find Gideon in a wine press, which is a indentation in the ground, and he's trying to save some of his grain. And God comes to him and said, Mighty warrior, warrior of valor, I will be with you. God's got a great sense of humor. But he was. And Gideon and his meager army defeated the Midianites. And then to the disciples, God said, Go and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have instructed you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The promise to those disciples is a promise to us. God is with us. If you're hesitating to be involved, remember, God is there to sustain you, to help you in ministry. Well, finally, the ultimate challenge for most people is that we all have an appointment with death, some of us sooner than others. (laughs) Most of us don't like to talk about it. Um, It's the ultimate source of fear and anxiety for many folks, believers included. But I want us to consider the words of Psalm 23 for just a moment. Turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, familiar words, but let's look at them with fresh eyes. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. James Montgomery Boyce, who was the pastor of the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, uh, pastor and author, used to explain this psalm this way. He said, imagine a mother who has a son in the military who is overseas, and she is talking about her son. She says, you know, when John comes home, he'll fix the window shade. When John comes home, he'll help me plant the garden. When John comes home, he can sit in his favorite chair and he can eat meals with the family. Why does does she call him John? Why the third person, he? Because he's not there. But when he is there, what will she say? John, would you fix the shade? John, do you want to sit in your chair? Now he's there. She's speaking to him directly. Did you notice what happened in the psalm? In the first three verses of the psalm, it's he. It's he. It's he. When you come to verse 4, it's not he anymore. It's you. I believe what the psalmist is telling us is that God is with us every moment of every day of our lives. But when that moment comes, when we pass from this life to the next, 
He's no longer he, but you. He is there in a personal way, in a different way. He walks with us from this life to the death, uh, to, to the new life. I, I don't walk in the valley of the shadow of death alone. He comes to the room where I am, stands by the bedside. And when I breathe my last breath, he takes my hand. We walk together from this life to the next. Well, this morning, there are two kinds of folks who are here. Some of you have never trusted Christ as Savior. You are not a disciple of Jesus. Others who have come to faith in Christ. <laughs> J. Vernon McGee used to call them saints and ain'ts. To those of you who have never placed your faith in Jesus who are this morning, what I want you to know is you can come into a relationship with God through Jesus. You may be here and asking, where is God? Where, where is he that I might find him, that I might know him? What I would suggest to you is that God's not lost, you are. That God has followed you from the cross through an empty tomb the winding path of your life to this place, and he taps you on the shoulder and invites you to come to him. You may have heard the gospel from a friend or a teacher or a pastor. You know that we are all sinners that need a Savior, that you are a sinner who needs a Savior, that you can find forgiveness in him by trusting his work on the cross and enter a new relationship which in which he lives within you, Christ, the hope of glory. Most of you here this morning, I believe, have come to a point where you've placed your faith in Jesus, you're believers. You stood beneath the cross in a figurative way, and you've looked up into the person who died there for you, and you've trusted that work on the cross for your forgiveness of sins. You've recognized that on the cross, a Savior died for you. You recognize that behind the cross, there beats a heart of a loving God. You're loved supremely, and God is always with you. Oh, you can't run from him. You can't hide from him. You might wander away for a time, but you're never out of his presence. And then there are times when we are going through difficult times. At those times, we often ask, where is God? Where are you? He's there. He's here. He's always present. Some years ago, a young businessman from Chicago went to the bluegrass regions of Kentucky. While he was there, he met and courted and married a beautiful young woman and took her back to Chicago as his bride. They had three wonderful years together, and then in the midst of an illness and a seizure of pain, she lost her mind. At best, she was a bit demented. At worst, she was a raving maniac. <laughs> Oftentimes, her screams would pierce the air, and the, the neighbors complained. And so this dear heart took his wife and moved from the center of the city of Chicago to the 
developing suburbs where he hoped he could nurse her back to health. Nothing happened, of course. And, and one day the old family physician said, well, why don't you take her back to Kentucky, to her home, and maybe something there will jog her memory and she'll return to who she was. So they went back to their home, the old home. Hand in hand, they walked through that house where memories hung like cobwebs on every corner. They walked out through the garden and down to the river where the flowers were in bloom and nothing happened. Still that old, wild look. <laughs> so he gently put her back in the car and defeated and discouraged, he headed back to Chicago. When they got close to the city, he, he noticed that she'd fallen asleep and it was the first restful sleep that she'd had in weeks and months. When they arrived home, he lifted her up from the car and took her into the house and laid her on the bed and allowed her to continue to sleep. Through the night, he sat with her. Through the midnight hours and into the early morning when the sun's rays came through the window and stroked her face, Suddenly the young woman awoke and she, she seemed to be her old self. And she looked around and she said, I, I seem to have been on a long journey, but where have you been? And that young man, that husband who loved his wife deeply, speaking out of days and months of patient waiting and watching, said, my sweetheart, I've been right here waiting for you all this time. Where is God? He's here. 2013 stretches out before each and every one of us as an unknown journey, an unknown path. My prayer for each of us this morning is that regardless of what you encounter along the path, you'll remember that God is present with you, walking with you, and you'll praise him for his presence in your life. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your attributes. We thank you for your omnipresence. I thank you, Lord, for your word that teaches us so much about God. Father, like the little boy, I pray this morning we've learned a lot about God. <laughs> and I, I, I'm the first to admit I, I cannot understand or comprehend it all. Your, your, your omnipresence is mind-boggling. What a truth. It's both a challenge and a comfort. May that be the case for each and every one of us. Thank you, Father, for this time of worship. We ask the blessing on, your blessing on the remainder of our day, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>